Hello and welcome to LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today, Jesse McGill, Curriculum Development Specialist with ANAC, is joining us to discuss the differences between Section G and GG and how nursing and therapy must collaborate for success under PDPM. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks, Rebecca. I'm happy to be here today. Jesse, with the implementation of the patient-driven payment model, PDPM, and Section GG functional score being used for Medicare reimbursement, is Section G activities of daily living, ADLs, still something nurse assessment coordinators need to be focused on? This is a great question, Rebecca. And it's true that Section GG has been in the spotlight lately, especially with the implementation of PDPM. But Section G did not go away. Section G ADLs are still used in 10 different quality measures. Some use ADLs in the numerator. Others use ADLs to determine the high-risk factors. And several use them as risk-adjusting covariates. Also, many state Medicaid case mix systems still use a version of the RUGS methodology, which utilizes the four late-loss ADLs from Section G to determine the ADL index. It sounds like NACs need to continue their ADL training programs. Yes, they do. Are there parts of the Section G training program that could also be used to support the coding of Section GG for functional abilities? Unfortunately, there's not. Section G and GG have very distinct differences, even for the items that share the same names. So for example, eating. Eating under Section GG includes only meals eaten by mouth, whereas eating for Section G includes intake of nourishment by other means, including tube feedings, total parenteral nutrition, and IV fluids for hydration. These artificial routes of nutrition are specifically excluded for Section GG eating. Another great example is bed mobility. Under Section G, this includes how the resident moves to and from the line position, how the resident turns side to side or is boosted up and down or repositioned in bed. But this is coded in separate distinct areas in Section GG. First, we code how the resin goes from a sitting to a lying position in one item, and then from a lying to a sitting on the side of the bed in another item. These two items are used in the Section GG function score for the PDPM methodology. We also code how the resin rolls right to left, but that item is not used in the function score calculation. Thanks for that explanation, Jesse. I understand that there's also a distinct difference in how Section G and GG are scored. Can you talk briefly about the differences? Yes, the scores are actually opposite of each other. So for Section G, if a resident is independent, they are coded as zero. But for Section GG, independence is coded as a zero six. There's also very key differences, such as for Section G, supervision is coded as one and limited or non-weight-bearing assistant is coded as two. Whereas in section GG, there's a combination code for supervision and the touching non-weight-bearing assist, all in the same coding category of a 04. And the look-back periods, are those different too? 
Yeah, so Section G uses a seven-day look-back period, while Section GG uses a three-day assessment window. And Section G also uses the rule of three, but Section GG uses the resident's usual performance during that three-day window. That's good to know, Jesse. Thank you. Listeners, please stay tuned while we take a quick commercial break. Now that PDPM is here, do you have a game plan for ongoing success? ANAC's PDPM game plan includes more than 80 pages of interactive and downloadable tools, as well as checklists and tips, all in one convenient resource. Order yours today at anac.org backslash PDPM game plan. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Jesse McGill, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist, regarding the differences between Section G and GG and the importance of collaboration under PDPM. Jesse, I understand that determining the resident's usual performance can be a challenge. Can you tell us what you see as the biggest challenge? Yeah, so when we look at Section GG, the challenge really started back with the definition of usual as it's defined in the REI user's manual. CMS has clarified this several times since the inception of Section GG back in 2016, but it continues to be a challenge. Another challenge that we see is how the data collection is completed for Section GG. Many teams lack the interdisciplinary collaboration. In fact, some teams put all the responsibility on therapy to complete the data, during the therapy evaluation, which may not provide the full picture. Can you give us an example of how teams collaborate on Section GG? Oh, sure. So I really love the example of eating. During the first three days, there's a chance that the resident could have up to nine meals with three meals per day. So if therapy evaluates the resident on the day of admission, there is a chance that the resident has not even had a meal in the facility yet, or maybe they've only had one or two meals out of nine. And we have to determine if this is providing us with enough information to code the resident's usual performance for eating on the MDS. The REI user's manual is very clear that we cannot record the staff's assessment of the resident's potential capability to perform the activity, but this must be based on the actual performance meaning that staff cannot determine how the resident could potentially perform the eating task without actually assessing the resident during a meal. Next, is therapy going to be involved in the task of eating? If occupational therapy or speech therapy is assisting with any meals during the three-day assessment window, then we would want their input on that assessment. But we have to know what disciplines are involved in the task. If it's a combination of therapy and the nurse aid, we'd want to include both of those disciplines in the data collection of Section GG eating. But if the nurse aid is the only one assisting with meals during that three-day window, then the nurse aid should be our primary source of information. That's a helpful example, Jesse. Thank you. What about the tasks that may be outside the scope of the nurse aid, like how the resident completed four steps? Oh, that's a great question, Rebecca. And there are tasks that the therapist may not be involved in, like the eating example above, but there may also be tasks where therapy may be the only discipline involved. And it's highly likely that only the therapy department will be assessing tasks like steps, walking on uneven surfaces, 
So for these types of tasks, we'll have to identify again who all is involved in performing these tasks or assessing the resident's ability to complete these tasks and collect the data from those sources. It sounds like therapy still plays a key role in the data collection of Section GG. Oh yes, absolutely. The key really is collaboration. We must collaborate with therapy and the other IDT members. Whoever was appropriately involved in assessing or completing those tasks so that Section GG can be coded correctly and accurately. I've heard that you must stop the Section GG assessment once therapy has evaluated the resident. Is there truth behind that statement? Well, that is a common myth, but what actually is stated in the REI user's manual is the admission functional assessment, when possible, should be conducted prior to the resident benefiting from treatment interventions in order to reflect the resident's true admission baseline functional status. If treatment has started, for example, on the day of admission, a baseline functional status assessment can still be conducted. Treatment should not be withheld in order to conduct the functional assessment. So the first thing that I note about this statement from the REI user's manual is that it only applies to the admission functional assessment. And that's stated in that very first sentence. The admission functional assessment, when possible, should be conducted. The next is that it states to conduct the assessment prior to the resident benefiting from treatment intervention. This does not necessarily indicate that it must stop when therapy does their eval. Just simply doing evaluation is not performing or may not be performing a treatment intervention, and it also may not be a treatment intervention where the resident is benefiting from that intervention already. So to me, this is really saying that CMS wants to know what the resident's performance was at the time of admission before interventions were put into place to improve the resident's performance. And those treatment interventions could be from therapy or they could be from nursing or another discipline. But the thing that I think is most often overlooked is that the resident may not be receiving treatment interventions in each and every task for Section GG. Thanks, Jesse. Do you think you could give us an example of what you mean by that? Yeah, so let's take a look at eating and chair-to-bed transfer for a resident. So if we take a fictional resident, we'll call him Mr. John, and he admits to the sniff following a knee replacement. At the first meal, he's able to eat independently with setup help only, and he transfers with two assists. Therapy evaluates later on day one and puts a plan of care into place, and they're going to work on both transfers and gait, but they did not add any interventions for eating. By the second meal, Mr. John is still independent, still needs no setup help, and the nursing, they create their baseline care plan. And on their baseline care plan, they have not added any treatment interventions for eating. Since we have no treatment interventions in place for eating from therapy or from nursing or from any other discipline, we can use all three days to determine the resident's usual performance for this task. However, when we look at transfers, by the end of day two, after working with therapy on different transfer techniques, Mr. John is now able to transfer with one assist. At this point, the resident has now benefited 
from treatment intervention. So if we look at that emission baseline functional status, Mr. John needed two assists for all of day one and for most of day two until he completed and was added treatment interventions of those transfer techniques, which caused him to improve on his transfer performance. So once he started to benefit from that treatment intervention, we're not, we're going to end the section GG assessment for that admission performance once he began to benefit. So I would code his transfer as a as a dependence since he required assist of two that's coded as dependent for section GG because that's truly what he was before he benefited from those treatment interventions. Thanks, Jesse. That is a great example. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know before we wrap up today's session? Thanks, Rebecca. We talked a lot about Section G and Section GG today, but we also talked a little bit about the role that therapy plays in Section GG. There has been a lot of questions in the ANAC Connect community, which is our member-exclusive message board and file-sharing platform. And a lot of these questions have revolved around what's therapy's role under PDPM now that therapy minutes do not impact Medicare reimbursement. And I just want to take a moment to quickly remind our listeners that CMS was very clear prior to the transition to PDPM that we should be judging and basing our treatment plan on the resident's needs, not on reimbursement thresholds, meaning that if a resident required a certain level of therapy under RUGS-4 to meet their goals, then that should be the same amount of therapy that's still required under PDPM. When we really take a step back and we focus on the resident, what are the resident's needs and how are we going to meet and achieve their goals for discharge and for their functional abilities, then that really should drive our plan of care. We must also keep in mind that the Medicare level of skilled care requirements have not changed. To be skilled for therapy services, this still must be provided five days per week. And we also want to consider that we still have a focus on achieving these really great quality measure outcomes. And in order to achieve the great outcomes, we have to meet the residents' goals. And we want to prevent rehospitalizations. And of course, we want to bring about resident and family satisfaction. So just like when I was talking about Section GG and I said the key is all collaboration, that's really the same thing that's true here when we're working towards the residents' overall goals. The key is really an interdisciplinary collaboration, nursing, therapy, and the rest of the skilled nursing facility team. Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate you taking some time today to discuss the differences between Section G and GG and how nursing and therapy can collaborate for success under PDPM. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. For more MDS resources and tools, please visit our website at www.aanac.org.